by you and the following underwriters. Sam's and Fleischmann's. Sam's Country Store Deli and Gas Station. Open every day for groceries, Mexican herbs, local craft beer, and with food to go, sandwiches, tortas, and tacos, and tamales on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sam's on Main Street in Fleischmann's. Sam'sCountryStoreNY.com. O'Connell and Aronowitz, attorneys at law since 1925, for legal representation, committed to fair treatment for all. From family law to constitutional law, estate planning to criminal defense, O'Connell and Aronowitz, 518-462-5601 or oalaw.com. Hi, I'm Kent Garrett, inviting you on board the 801 weekday mornings on WIOX Roxbury. Community radio in the Catskills. We have local, state, national, and world news at 91.3 FM and on MTC channel 20 and for the rest of the world at wioxradio.org or just tell your smart device to play wiox Good evening. You're listening to WIOX from the forest. Oh, excuse me. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC, cable channel 20, 107.5 FM at the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 we talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. Ryan's out, but Zane is here with me tonight. And uh, what's going on, Zane? Hey, John. Uh, what's going on? Uh, well, uh, me and my wife uh, bought our Christmas tree last weekend. Did you? Yeah. Is it up? Oh, yeah. Is it decorated? Oh, yeah. Are you uh, white lights or multicolor lights? <laughs> 
I prefer the multicolor. But so wife, what did your wife choose? <laughs> the white lights, the soft white lights. What was soft white lights? Okay. But it's in the picture window, and it's got garlands on it, and she's doing some dried oranges, thinly sliced. So for decoration. In front, yep. They hang in front of the white lights and give it kind of this warm orange kind of hue. And an odor? Does it smell nice? A little bit, yeah. Okay. What yeah. kind of tree was it? This is a balsam fir. Where'd you get it? I got it from uh, Robson's Christmas Tree Oh, Farm. excellent. They've been on this show before on From the Forest. Yeah, I met Michael in the rain, got it uh, in a light rain and uh, picked it out. Yeah, it was a good one. Okay, cool. Pretty happy about it. Um, good inventory left. I know they sell out. Yeah, a lot of the ones we were looking at, um, they look great from a distance and we got closer uh, they got a sold sticker on them but oh we found a really good one um yeah i was pretty happy about it first christmas tree we bought so it's kind of special nice very nice um do you pay by the foot there or do you have like they have a set price for all the trees yep. I know everybody's different yep set price by the tree okay um, cool size of the tree as well this one was like uh about six feet nice perfect i have yet to get a tree um, hope they're not all gone. No, they're they're still there. <laughs> uh, we looked at the lower lot, but there's an upper lot as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we already con we contacted Brookside Farm and Delancey said, "Save us one, please." Yeah. We have friends there, so we're gonna see them tomorrow. Maybe I tell them to throw one in the truck, but I guess that's not the <laughs> go pick your own style. <laughs> no. That's what we did. So yeah. well, cool. Well, that's great. What else you been doing? Anything? What's in the forest? What's in the forest? Uh, well, I've been in the forest uh, gathering firewood. Uh-huh. Yep, so chopping it and stacking it. I'm just making uh, another uh, two cords now I got set aside. So This will be good. wood for next year? Uh, next year or uh, possibly two years from now. Good. Cool. Yeah. What species? This is a mixture of uh, maple, mostly maple, a cherry tree that had kind of in the woods near where I'm renting, it, it was kind of a wishbone shaped, and it split down the middle. So you got two stems that broke, so it looks like kind of a big M in the woods. So I cut that up. That was pretty nice wood. And uh, some oak trees. Nice I could come by and cut down a small <laughs> oak tree near one of the power lines that ran through my property. And uh, so I got that up, too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I brought home some red oak also recently. It, uh, yeah, it was further than I say I should drive with firewood. I broke my rule again and remembered why I have rules, yeah. I have distance. And uh, But, you know, when it's there and you've got the splitting mall in the truck and they say, take it, and the chainsaw's there as well, I just said, all right. You got it. I, uh, well, I didn't take the whole thing. I just, you know, whatever I felt was a load <laughs> for the <laughs> truck. But uh, I could feel it. It was pretty heavy on the way home nice. yeah green red oak has got some weight to it uh, yeah it's my first time splitting a lot of different types of wood oak which split very easily popped oh, yeah. right open uh i now know why they call it white ash because when i split uh that round it was just a beautiful white wood on the inside and uh maple and uh, cherry can be kind of stringy sometimes i've realized so. Yeah, what's your feeling on uh, ash versus oak split ability? 
I was more impressed by oak. Yeah, yeah it no, pops that's, right open. That's what me and Ryan say. Our our vote is on red oak very, all day. Very and, satisfying. And the thing about red oak, so I mean, yes, a, a pole sized ash or pole sized anything splits well, but a pole sized ash typically pops right apart. And I think that's what people are yeah. talking about when they say ash is the easiest. It is not the easiest. Definitely not. Red oak is the easiest in all sizes. You even get a big honking, you know, twenty inch rounds. It's going to pop apart, <laughs> just like the the pole size ones do. So, Red Oak's got my uh, my vote all day. The only downside, unlike Ash, it's got to be season two year minimum. Yeah, it's in the two year cord. So. Yeah. yeah, but that Ash, you know, that's got the least amount of moisture to lose hmm. per uh, per volume per weight. Yeah, fire or wood in general is uh, is measured, you know, different when you think about percentages, right? Um, it's a percentage of its weight green versus its weight at a dry, which is typically anything under 20%, right? Mm. And some woods can, because of that, can have, you're measuring the, the water, the, the, the weight of the water loss. So mm-hmm. when you compare those, you can have percentages greater than 100%, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Aspen, for example, is extremely heavy when green, but is extremely light when dry. So you can have 120, 130% weight loss in the when the in the dry versus the green. Ash on the other hand is is much less in the 40s or 50s, I believe from memory from this show. We we've, we've talked about all this before, but so it's got very little little weight and water to lose. And water's heavy. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um what have I been doing in the woods? Uh, I'm still trying to hunt a little bit. I filled my doe tag. We got a riddle for you. What do you call it? A no idea. Or deer with no eyes. Darn it, I suck at <laughs> jokes. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, I got a deer with no ears. So I'm trying to, I cannot figure out a punchline for that one yet. But yeah. There's got to be one out there, yeah. I got a, yeah, I got a, a got deer a with no ear. Earless deer. Earless deer. It didn't hear you coming then, I guess. Um, no. No. <laughs> I was sitting and she walked by, so she couldn't hear me. But I don't know if she could hear it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny because you always see deer. They're always turning their ears all directions, mm-hmm. you know. They don't have to move their head to get a, a better hearing where we humans have to put our ear towards the sound if we want right. to get a better listen of it. So um, I didn't know what it could be. At first, assumption, my wife and I brainstormed, well, maybe as a fawn, someone... You know, had it as a pet, which you're not allowed to do, illegal, mm. unethical. And they wanted to identify it later in life and irrationally cut its ears off as a marker. Nice. You know, logical theory, but nah, I didn't think that could be true. Um, someone else said, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a fence. Mm. Like fence. Fences aren't sharp, you know, like high tensile electric wires rounded. Even barbed wire is barbed. It'll rip and tear, but it's not going to. These look like clean cuts mm-hmm. at one spot on both sides. So, um, yeah, we got a hold of a local veterinarian to ask. And the vet said, according to the picture, looked very uh, similar to what she sees in livestock uh, frostbite. Mm. So uh, that's what we're going with right now. Is the deer had severe frostbite. In its ears, and the ears fell off, rotted off. Mm. So, yeah, I guess you can imagine a deer lying down or trying to uh, keep warm, and the ears being the uh, 
highest point on its body, maybe in a high wind somewhere. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess maybe I'm not going to say anything about, uh, you know, intelligence of deer, but maybe this one didn't have the greatest. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen this before. And uh, if you would think if it was a severe weather event that would affect maybe multiples in the population where we'd see this happening with, you know, if it was an extreme cold snap that made this happen, whatever, 30% of the whole herd mm-hmm. would have symptoms of this, but it, it was just this individual. So what was she doing laying in some spot that didn't have thermal cover or protection from the wind and elements or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, who knows? So I got looking at dates that got me looking at historic weather because, you know, we uh, humans keep uh, good weather data. Right. So uh, I wrote it down. I didn't write it down here. I wrote it down in my email. I think it was uh, like January 16th of 2021. It was a low of four degrees near the closest weather station to where I shot her. Low of four degrees at 26 mile an hour winds. Wow. That's cold. Yeah. Usually when we get cold temperatures below zero, around zero, it's oftentimes a calm night. Mm. Right? It's, you know clear skies calm outside and cold is cold but cold with wind is far worse so that one got me thinking it could have been um if she was that old which i think she was or if not it was this past winter of january i think it was january 29th of 2022 had negative eight degrees with 20 mile an hour winds so that could have done it yeah that is cold Anyway, I thought it was interesting. I don't know when I uh, when I shoot a deer, I try to uh, try to find something about it to either make me learn more about you know or, or push me to learn more about uh, animal and life history and things like that. You know, whether it's a a scar, right? What made that scar? What could have done that? Um, a uh, patch of hair missing? Did it run into a fence? Did it get hit by a car? Um, I've seen pus sacks. I've seen broken legs. My dear lad, my buck last year had a broken jaw that rehealed and caused a molar deformity. And then it caused him to eat only on the other side, which makes sense. It was a painful to eat on the, the broken side and caused abnormal tooth wear. Um, really interesting things that I try to try to learn from every deer that way. Right. Yeah, it is very interesting. So. I got my list of them. So anyway, um, we're not talking about deer, as we oftentimes kind of venture into. But tonight, Zane's been reading a book, and uh, that sparked some some interesting uh, things to talk about. Um, Zane, what's the book? Well, I got this book called uh, 100 Tree Myths by Dr. Alex Shigo. He's a former Forest Service uh, uh, scientist, and uh, he was also an educator. He wrote a lot of uh, uh, really good, easy-to-read, easily accessible books for people who work in the tree care industry because he wanted to shift a lot of paradigms on how we view tree biology, um, especially in the 60s and 70s. Um, learning about tree biology and uh, dispelling a lot of these myths allows people to do better tree work, take care of trees. Um, uh, so I thought it was pretty pretty interesting. A lot of these are kind of uh, some are technical, some are just kind of ones that have just always been swirling around still in the tree care profession. Okay. Um, so I thought it would be an interesting episode of the radio show to talk about these 
myths and misconceptions. And Right. So, yeah, this is from the forest, and we're talking common tree myths, misconceptions, and half-truths. Yeah. So, uh, Zane, you want to start us with, I guess, what is a myth? Yeah. So myths, you know, these are misunderstandings, misconceptions, half-truths, things that are Part of it is true, but it's surrounded by a lot of other kind of misunderstandings. We can talk about those. But, you know, common myths, myths are uh, things like colds are caused by the cold weather. And everyone's heard that, but colds are caused by cold virus, you know. Um, uh, so these are kind of uh, attempts to define reality when your information is lacking. Um, uh, so there's another one like... A half-truth would be like a two-by-four. I don't know if everyone's... I didn't really know this growing up, but a two-by-four isn't always two inches by four inches, right? Well, it depends on if it's uh, nominal or dimensional, right? Right. So fresh off the mill, it was two inches by four inches. But after processing, drying, and planing, they are cut down to a standard size of inch and a half by uh, three, and, three and a half. Hmm. Yeah. Within reason, within an eighth year. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, I don't know, these things kind of persist, and uh, you know, some aren't harmful, but when we start to kind of do things in forestry and arboriculture, we got to make decisions about uh, the tree health or, or management, and we can cause harm if, you know, if we're using these myths to guide our uh, actions. Um, so trying debunking myths can be controversial. It bruises people eat people's egos because you know people are doing the same thing for a long time and they think they're doing it for the right reasons but a good way to bust these myths um is to use uh, really clear terminology when you talk about things um and also uh, monitor the effects of your actions whether you're doing something to a single tree or doing it to your woodlot you know always monitoring and see see what happens as a result um so we'll run through a few of these and uh john if you Think of any, uh, you know, that aren't listed here and uh, talk about them. But sure. Well, hold on. What's it got me thinking a little bit? Is there a difference between a myth and a and a wives' tale? A wives' tale. All right, I got one for you. Uh, I hear this one a lot this time of year. It can't snow until the streams are full, or right. the the swamps, or if you're in the Adirondacks, it's swamps. Put a here in the Catskills, the old wives' tale. It can't snow until the streams are full. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, uh, you think about it, it makes intuitive sense, you know, right? But uh, I don't know. Maybe I guess it might be one true. of those half-truths, right? Yeah. It, it's not a cause and effect thing. It's not that it can't snow when the streams are low. It's that it usually doesn't snow until fall. And at that time of year, the leaves have fallen off the trees, mm -hmm. and there's a major amount of transpiration in a forest that's actually uptaking tons and tons of water. And when that's gone, within a week or two period, the average stream depth increases because there's more water from runoff of the mountain streams into the, the lower elevations, right? That's actually making it to the river. <laughs> so at that time in the fall is coincides when it typically begins snowing and getting cold. <laughs> huh. So that's my truth to it. At least that's what I've come to conclude. So. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a sound, yeah. Like I said, it sounds pretty intuitive. And... All right, well, get us into some of these tree myths. What's number one? Well, number one here is, uh, you know, trees are so big and tough, nothing can injure them. You know, we've seen large cuts on trees that can be made. Um, uh, 
that's kind of a myth, according to Shigo. Uh, for large trees, he just recommends leaving, a, leaving them alone unless there's a, a hazard there. Um, they really don't need anything if they get to a certain size. Um, as long as they've got the same growing conditions in, in which brought them to that size, right? Right. Encroachment by surrounding trees, reduction in sunlight, it could be an issue for them. But, yeah, I mean, just look at a, a roadside tree. Uh, it, some of them get big, but it's it's kind of rare, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see giants next to the road. Why? It's stressful. It's it's hard to become that way. And when they do get big, eventually a car hits them or right. a snowplow around here. And, uh, yeah, that's the detriment. Big trees can be hurt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so now yeah, we'll run through another one. Uh, let's see. Say if you're planting a tree, plant the tree deep. The roots will grow deeper. Sounds intuitive, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But uh, sometimes uh, if the roots survive, they'll just grow upward because trees like to be planted at a certain depth, and that's usually like a, the uh, um, the lateral root there. Um, usually see if you if you dig in the container. Okay. Yeah, we see that a ton, right? Yeah. Especially with fruit trees. Yeah, very common, common mistake. And uh, I don't know, you contribute it to myth or just ignorance but uh things i've always seen all the time i mean we were just speaking with a landowner recently we were commenting on uh, a great site for planting apple trees and he's a wildlife guy and i said this would benefit wildlife and it's in an old orchard he says oh yeah when i was a kid there was dozens of trees here they all aged out and died and then he's got a planting that's 20 years old um and none of them have really grown Mm. and he says it must be the site sites changed I don't think the site changed any. <laughs> yeah. I think you misplanted that 20-year-old planting. And they are. They're stunted and small. Some of them have died. Mm. So, yeah, probably planted too deep. Yeah. Some trees, if you like a um, honey locust, if you do plant it too deep, it will actually uh, uh, grow roots um, and compensate for that, for that deeper planting. So tr- some trees can actually respond and uh, uh, recover from that. But something like an apple... Uh, sounds like it, it wouldn't, so. No, no. Yeah, willow does the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they're great for restoration projects, because you can have any old volunteer that just wants to go dig a hole and throw something in it and have great success. Yeah, evergreens as well. Um, evergreens uh, like spruces. that uh, Like I know black spruce does that as well. Um, but uh, another myth here. So, again, planting trees, lots of soil amendments are good at the planting site. No matter what kind of soil you'll have, you should always add some sort of soil amendment. Um, that's kind of a myth, I think, because um, depending on your quality of your soil, you don't really need to add anything. You know, if you follow the rules of the right tree for the right site, you really shouldn't need to add anything like uh, topsoil or anything like mulch or organic material. Um, if the site's good um, and it can be water, it's got everything it needs. Especially here in the Catskills. Um we have a clay-based soil, and though that poses problems for other things like drainage um, and keeping tree roots too wet in some situations, clay is extremely nutrient-dense. Um, so anyway, so it's, yeah. it's usually not a limiting factor in our soils. All right. Um, so let's uh, switch over to some of these broader tree myths, something that I hear all the time. You probably hear too. Uh, topping does not injure trees. <laughs> I just, I shouldn't say, I just saw a uh, company today, actually. It was something along the lines of 
top top it now or top top it time or something like that <laughs> as a company name i'm like really oh wow i'm like oh i don't know about that <laughs> yeah so topping you know is uh it's not a it's not a kind of pruning cut usually that is usually made on trees when you top a tree you kind of um you're reducing the crown in a way to make room for uh, some other structure, say a power line or something, or just because the tree's near your house and it's getting a little too big. It's just kind of a cut that's made arbitrarily on the tree without any thought to the structure or the health of the tree at all. Um, so it uh, not only injures the crown, but it injures the roots as well. Um, it could lead to hazards on the tree, especially if decay sets in. Um, and it's also, if it's done to make room for something, you got to come back and do it again so now you're just uh, inflicting uh injuries on the tree year after year um, more red, avenues for disease and pests right and stressing the tree out um and uh you know sometimes people do this and they say well the tree you know leafed out and it bounced right back but if a tree can tolerate an injury it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the tree as well um and for me at least guy who loves trees likes to see trees in their fullest uh you know potential it kind of for me limits the dignity of the tree you know maybe the tree shouldn't have been there in the first place if you feel like you have to kind of compact it down to fit it into the space yeah exactly like we talked about earlier right tree for the right space means a lot and a lot of people don't think about or don't research the tree's potential mm. you know an oak tree can get 80 plus feet tall so maybe it shouldn't be planted 15 feet from the doorstep right yeah i mean uh when you're in that situation you have to consider topping as the only option um removal might be the better alternative restarting yep um another one here you know electrical companies utility companies they don't have they don't care about the trees oh, those, those poor guys <laughs> <laughs> i know some of them that work there and I hear stories that don't, don't go and yell at him. It's not, he didn't make, a lot of times they didn't make the decision either. Yeah. So these are the guys that show up, you know, unannounced and all of a sudden you hear this buzzing and you see guys out there in this bucket truck and they're trimming back this tree that's grown into the power lines. And more often than not, they're, they're creating that like this bowl in the tree to, to shape it around the power lines that are going through. Yeah. So two things to say about that is at, closing of your mortgage on your house or the deed your lawyer probably described to you the right of ways through your property at least this mm -hmm. is what happened on mine and they noted to me that sir the company has a 15 foot right of way on all directions of that line and mm -hmm. I, am i okay with that i signed on that line that says yes i was so just so you know <laughs> you probably have already acknowledged to this company in some way that you know that they have 15 foot right away. And if you plant something there or below or trees that encroach from the sides, they're probably going to get trimmed at some point. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs power. You're not the only one on the line here. Number right. two, <laughs> right? These guys, a lot of these utility companies have the bigger ones anyway, have someone working there who has a job title of utility forester. This person's job is to monitor the right away and uh, make the decisions on what trees get cut or not cut and when it gets trimmed back. The people doing the work um, 
are following his set of instructions, and they're just contract workers a lot of the times anyway. So don't go out and yell at those guys. There's somebody else you, you need to have a discussion with first. <laughs> yeah, just so, following orders. And, the, you know, these people, they care about trees just as well. They do. It comes back to that same problem, you know, right tree, right site. And, and again, these were probably large trees usually that were uh, maturing, and now they're growing up over the power lines and, um, you know, Cutting the thing down is, is drastic, um, so all they can really do in the meantime is trim it back. Well, like I said again, I mean, a lot of them only have a uh, right-of-way of 15 feet, so um, that's un- right. kind of unfortunate, too, because in certain situations that tree should have been cut down, yet most of the living portion falls outside of what they have a right-of-way for, and they can't, um, which could lead to other hazards in the, in the long term whether that might be leaning over your shed now mm-hmm. uh you can definitely sur- by taking off one side of it change its lean and where uh gravity might take it in a storm right yeah <clears throat> um so going back to these other uh kind of myths at planting i see um here's a myth after planting brace the tree tightly um Truth is, if bracing is needed for the tree, it should be um, loose. It should allow the tree to sway Um, because trees that sway uh, grow strong root systems because they're getting used to a windy site. So a lot of the times you'll find a containerized tree with a stake right against the stem. And sometimes I've seen people plant that tree with that stake still against that stem there. Um, That's something that should be removed at planting. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what could happen years down the road if it's not? Well, if it's uh, uh, the roots can grow around that stake and then can't really get it out. Um, and if the tree does kind of sway or move as, as it gets heavier, um, they can rub against the stem, rub against the uh, bark of the tree, and introduce some sort of infection to it. What do you think about, instead of a stake, I've heard of uh, people putting something weighted on top of that root system, like a rock or something on the lean side. Say it wants to tip right, they put it on the left. Is that acceptable? Yeah, it sounds acceptable to me if, it, if it's something that can be easily removed later. Um, or uh, I've also heard of these kind of um, stakes for the root ball that mm-hmm. decompose over time. You can um, drive them into the ground if it's a large, thick root ball, and that holds the tree in place. And... Uh, after a few years, those will decompose, and uh, the tree will have been rooted by that time. So, All right. Yeah. Well, this is uh, you're listening to WIOX uh, 91.3 FM. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we're talking common tree myths, misconceptions, half-truths. We're talking tree myths, broader myths. So, uh, we're going to touch on forest myths and a bunch more tree myths coming up. Up there, 
There's just one thing that I need to know before I settle down. Can I take my hounds to heaven? Can I hunt on God's ground? Now you say if I quit drinking and try to toe the line, I can make it up to glory at the end of my life. And while whiskey's hard to throw away, it's something I try to do. If I could spend forever running hounds and tree and coons, but if I can't take my hounds to heaven, if I can't hunt on God's land, I'd rather load my dark box up and go to Smoking in my rough and rowdy ways, we can hold hands forever on streets of gold someday. But the only way I can stand it now, and I hate to say it's true, when you give me a hard time, I can do what I wanna do. Zane, that's a moral dilemma for you. The song's called uh, Can I Take My Hounds to Heaven? So what do you do if you find out you can't hunt God's ground? Do you go to hell? That's what he's singing about. Oh, wow. It is a dilemma. Uh, for me, it would be. I'd be like, huh, I don't know. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, this is, a from, this is from the forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk a different forest-related topic. Um, tonight we're talking common tree myths, misconceptions, and half truths. So Zane, uh, well, how do myths start? 
Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. Usually people, uh, uh, like I said, they're trying to make sense of reality, make sense of some phenomenon uh, where they don't have all the information. Um, so they latch onto something that works, but it might not be, uh, you know, kind of how things really work. Um, because nature, you know, is really variable. So, but we still got to make decisions about um, how to do something. So, you know, usually myths come from these authoritative figures, uh, things that make intuitive sense to us, and they're just kind of they stick in our memory, or just we believe something because we've always believed it. Well, and some of these things, as I look ahead on your list, you made are are once we're in full belief. So, I mean, who's to say? today we're we're right and something that we're going to think is the truth now 20 years ago we're going to believe well that was a myth i would say evidence you know evidence experience over time um and you know monitoring the effects of what we do and um there's good evidence out there that uh this this practice no matter how long it's been done it it, it doesn't work um this is kind of what alex shigo was all about hmm. Especially when uh, he divides uh, old arboriculture from modern arboriculture. Old arboriculture, you know, saw tree biology as similar to human biology. Um, so the idea that uh, uh, trees, um, if you cut a tree, for, say a pruning cut, you have to put a bandage on it. You got to put some sort of seal on it to help the trees heal. Um, the idea that trees. Uh, have cavities and those cavities have to be excavated and kind of cleaned out you know to get out infections um, the idea that um, uh, you know trees that have water in them for whatever reason those that water has to be drained kind of like reminds me of that medieval medicine of like bloodletting you know you're sick so we got to drain some of your blood these are you know if you have a certain idea of, of how humans operate um, you have certain medical practices, but they might not be helping. Um, so I guess we can start with one. You know, trees uh, don't heal. They seal. Uh, people use that term all the time, and that's kind of what I mean about terminology. Healing, I guess, is a specific term meaning, you know, living cells replacing uh, dead or dying cells in the exact same position. But trees don't do that. Trees have no choice but to generate new cells over old cells so um, they seal their wounds they just generate new tissue over them um, so knowing that helps us make better decisions about pruning and, and tree health and I don't know I think that's pretty interesting so don't put wound sealing wound dressing on trees anymore I've you know some of these myths they're kind of funny when you think about them but I've still seen wound dressings around on older trees uh, people put patches on some things people spray spray paint on an old wound um, in some instances this is uh, necessary especially for uh, diseases that are spread by bacteria things like um, fire blight for instance um, for most tree wounds you just want to make a nice clean cut and keep the wound dry you don't need to apply anything yeah it's um, it's funny because the only times we put anything on a trees wound using air quotes there um is as our grafting sealant mm -hmm. and that's because the number one reason why a graft fails is it dries out so we want to keep moisture in and that's the opposite of what you want to do when you're trying to heal a tree right. because you want it to dry out and not rot from the inside right um well yeah so uh the idea that you know cavities in trees were always bad you know if, if the tree was rotting from the center 
um, you know, it's structurally unsound. So people would literally, you know, clean out cavities. And fill them with concrete sometimes. At, yeah, concrete. And that was another thing. I've, uh, the tree company I used to work at, you know, a guy came back with a busted chain on his saw because he tried to cut into a tree and he cut into concrete. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. So that's still done around there. Um, because if you think if the tree's hollow in the center, it can't be structurally sound. Um, so what I can do is I can pour concrete in there, and that'll help keep it straight. But um, when you think about that, you know, the concrete at the bottom of the cavity is not connected to anything. You know, it's it's just kind of a cylinder in there. Um, it's not rooted like the tree is rooted. Uh, a cylinder is an extremely sound structure in engineering. Right. We use it all the time. Bridges, um, flagpoles. Think of that, you know, big giant 60-foot flagpole with that 40-foot flag hanging off of there in Kingston. That's a hollow pole. Or even you take a small paper roll and just try and crush it from the sides. It's, it's very, very hard to do without hurting your hands. It's true. So it's a very strong shape, even though it has no center to it. Um, so you think about trees like that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see, another one here. So ants, people always worry about ants coming out of their tree, going into their tree. Um, should you be worried about ants? Maybe. Um, ant, do ants speed up, speed up the decay process? Um, I don't know. Um, ants aren't, unlike terminites, they're, they're not excavating into the live wood. Um, they're scavengers, so they leave the tree to, to uh, scavenge, to feed. Um, inside the tree, they're just kind of, um, according to Shigo, just uh, keeping their galleries very clean. And anything that's kind of moving that's going to decay and kind of compromise their galleries, they would attack and, and like, uh, destroy. So um, I've never heard of a tree having so many ants that it would break down. But I would be more concerned about why were the ants attracted to it in the first place? Mm -hmm. What bit of decay allowed them to make a home there, and is that enough to cause concern? Right. So they're, in that sense, like an indicator of some other kind of primary issue maybe a wound or some right. sort of cavity there similar thought process on mushrooms you know people th say well there's a mushroom body growing from my tree that must have killed it no mushroom bodies grow from decaying they break down they're mm -hmm. growing from decaying tissue so uh, the, the tree was already dead in that portion before the mushroom arrived mm -hmm. um, yeah or the woodpecker the woodpecker was just after the ants that were after the dead tissue, right. the dead tissue was there. So you got to trace it three or four steps back and figure out, oh, it was the the root I cut off from my, my in-ground pool I had to mm. have that uh, caused the decay, and 10 years later, now we're having all these issues, and the tree is going to fall through the, the bedroom one night. <laughs> yeah, old arboriculture <laughs> would say, you know, just remove the, the fungus. You know, that's that. Just remove it. Take it off, and it's fine. But as we know, you know, that fruiting body is uh kind of the end of a process of decay in the tree so just taking off the the fruiting body the conch you know doesn't really solve the problem mm -hmm. um so here's another one uh let's go with uh i don't know i've seen this in a few consultations people get these large bald and burlap trees that um wrapped in uh some sort of wire cage and um so here's a myth growing roots will push away the wire in a wire basket I'd think? say no. Yeah. Because I've seen trees eat up hardware like they want it for dinner. Right. So a lot of these bald and burlap trees, uh, 
you know, come delivered in this in this kind of wire cage with burlap and rope around it. And some people just put them in the hole and put the soil on and uh, call it a day. But um, you really want to take all that material off, no matter what anybody tells you. Take all that material off because you don't want those roots uh, growing and being impeded by anything. Um, sometimes the tree's so heavy that just getting into the hole, you can't really pull the wire cage away. So um, the best thing to do would be to just cut the wire cage at certain points and fold it out and bend it out. So as the tree grows, that cage can expand away. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, I got one for you, Zane. Yeah. Trees grow up from the ground. Ah. That's one I hear right. too commonly. So how do trees grow? And what am I saying? If I Let me yeah, explain that yeah, further. Yeah. If you were to hang a sign on your tree at four feet high in the year 2022, and I came back to visit your house and look at your sign in the year 2042, 20 years later, how high would that sign now be off the ground? Be that the same height. Or lower. It may have fallen off by now. <laughs> so, yeah, explain how trees grow, then. Yeah, so... Um... You know, we see plants, small plants, non-woody plants, and they grow up and out of the ground. Uh, but trees are woody, um, so trees actually grow into the air. Um, if you see new twigs forming, um, it's adding length onto the end of the branch. Um, the trunk is expanding, the roots are expanding, uh, but the tree never really uh, rises out of the ground more than when it was planted. I guess is a way to explain it. Yes, they're growing from their terminal point upward every year, and not from their root pushing them out of the ground. Right. So. Yeah. Um, all right. What's another one here? Um, a healthy tree is one that's free of infections. It's got no infections, got no wounds. Um, what do you think? Well, that's a myth, I would say. <laughs> I'm a media myth. I don't know, just from my biology background. Have you ever found a tree without a, a injury, a wound, something attacking it? I mean, there's some that look great, but you can't see at the microscopic scale what's going on ever. Right. And different times of year is going to um, show you different things going on. I mean, a tree on Memorial Day weekend that might could be under a lot of stress looks a lot different than it does Labor Day weekend. Uh, after it's had an entire season of attack. Yeah, and stress is reversible. Um, you know, you can do things uh, to or around a tree to help relieve stress. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, let's talk about fertilizer. You know, people always ask, should I fertilize the tree? Um, I used to have a... Uh, 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 a boss who would uh, do, uh, would fertilize trees, you know, always want us to go out and go feed the trees. Um, but for Alex Shigo, you know, fertilizer is not really food. Why? Because, you know, trees are autotrophs. Trees feed themselves. They capture light energy and turn that into nutrients. Fertilizer is just um, essential elements the tree needs for growth. That's what you're providing the tree. Um, I, think, uh, I think this is a too good of a positive feedback loop for the yard apple grower because they're sold i see it all the time with uh, those apple spikes they mm -hmm. put them around the root yeah, system tree spikes. and apples are naturally biennial so if you happen to put those spikes in 
on the every other year and it being the good year, meaning there's a lot of fruit that year, mm. um, you're going to just have this positive feedback loop telling you, I put that spike in the ground and we had a lot of <laughs> apples this year. That means the spike worked. That's not at all what is happening. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, it's firsthand experience. You know, that's hard. It's hard to dispel in some people that idea, but fertilizer is not an energy source for the food or for, for the tree. Um, which is what food is, which is what a nutrient is. The tree produces its own nutrients. Um, and sometimes people fertilize and they don't really need to fertilize. Again, it comes back to this idea of right tree, right site. Um, if it's the right tree and it's in a good site, you won't really need to provide any amendments or any kind of uh, help. Um, so, But if you do want to fertilize a tree, you'd consider the species and maybe it's lacking in certain elements you consider its age its condition the soil type you have uh, ph you have these are all things that you can kind of look at or adjust before you start to take those spikes in i think all right zane let's talk uh one or two from the the forest realm rather than the tree realm yeah common forestry myths so here's one here's one a lot and you probably heard it a lot uh clear cutting is deforestation yeah we've talked about that many many times on from yeah. the forest and i hope every, everyone listening can recite what i'm about to say clear cutting is not land clearing it's a silvicultural prescription clear cutting to regrow a shade intolerant forest meaning it's it's a tool that we use to at a certain time for a certain designated reason to regrow a certain forest type and it's just resetting that clock back to zero to day mm -hmm. one it's still a forest it's still a forest the day it's cut um and its goal is to maintain it as a forest uh clear cutting which gets the media wrap or deforestation which is the same um uh, land clearing rather and deforestation are the same thing um that's replacement we're taking something that was forest, converting it to something else. Mm -hmm. Developed land, um, a mine, something different. That, and there's no intention to bring it back to forest anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where, you know, terminology comes in. That's where terminology is important. Um, yeah. Uh, so another myth, uh, forestry myth. Um, this is what I hear a lot. This is what I call the high graders credo. Uh, it's best to clear the larger stems to make room for the smaller ones, right? Mm, Makes yep. intuitive sense. So our employment when we're not here at WIOX is Catskill Forest Association, and in 1982 they were founded because of this myth right here. Um, yeah, it, there's a we could do a whole show just on how this occurs and why, but the forest history around us and much of the Northeast, but specifically here to the Catskills, uh, are even aged forest stands because of our legacy effect from past agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and that means all the trees within that stand at a, some period are the same age, regardless of size, within a certain window, mm -hmm. say 10 years. That's in forestry terms, close enough to the same age to be the same cohort. And for whatever reason, the big ones have a better site. They grew bigger, faster, taller, um, or not necessarily taller, but just bigger in diameter. And that does not mean that they're older. They, they really aren't. And those are the healthier ones. So by cutting the bigger ones, you're taking away the healthiest trees out of the forest and leaving a less resilient one 
behind that may be susceptible to more pest diseases um, and other problems. Right. And those are the ones that you don't want producing uh, much seed. You want the best uh, seed trees to keep. Yeah, if it was a genetic cause that, you know, caused them to be inferior. Sometimes it's site conditions, mm. you know, too wet, too dry. Even on the same stand or site area of trees, every square foot is not the same over an acre, right? Um, a sugar maple growing up on a, a berm might not do as well next to a spring. Mm. Yeah, another, you know, I think high grading is also called kind of selective cutting, which is uh, what I've heard. That's the popular one, and that's yeah. the one that seems to be applauded to someone who says they're not about cutting trees but really is okay with it. They mm -hmm. say, well, I selectively cut it, or I had the logger selectively cut it, and they make them feel good. It's a feel-good term. Um, there's, it implies there's a judgment being uh, made there about which trees to keep, which trees to and, take. And in all reality is, well, we selected for the best of the best, and we left the worst of the worst. Yeah. So how does that make Practical. you feel? <laughs> or uh, I've heard diameter limit cutting. Yeah, I'm never going to cut. I won't cut one that I can't reach my arms around. <laughs> my my reach is 19 inches. So for me, that would be a 19-inch diameter tree at four four and a half feet. Oh, my, mine, mine's 20 inches. So yeah. I don't know. I'm a smaller guy. Oh, I got it. Ah. <laughs> so you got longer fingers. Um, here's another one, forestry myth. Just let nature take its course. Just let nature take, take its course. Yeah, okay. So... All I have to say to that is the decision to do nothing is still a conservation decision. And um, there's a time and place, and mm. it could be for a set period of time. But for most landowners that I've come across, and I've talked to hundreds, um, several hundreds in the last few years on their properties, and oftentimes I ask them, what are your goals? And especially for a newer landowner who just purchased the land, they might tell me, well, I love it the way it is. I, l I wish it would s stay mm. the same. I said, well, you've got a lot of work to do with a chainsaw to make this stay close to the same as what it is now because right. it's not static. The forest is always evolving. And by letting nature take its course and by doing nothing, you're just managing for one thing, and that's the end of secession. And in the northeast, in these northern hardwood forests, that's four trees dominating. Maple, the two maples. Maple, beech, birch, and hemlock. And of that, that's black and yellow birch and soft and hard maple or red and sugar maple. Right. So beech, birch, maple, hemlock are the four categories of trees, five, that uh, will dominate. It's the end result. And if you bought your land because it's an old pasture and there's white birch and there's quaking aspen and there's apple trees that are abundant and throughout and juneberry and wild pear and raspberries and uh, wildlife galore oh, you're making me emotional here i'm just saying i'm, I'm picturing um you know a disney euphoria that you know when you see bambi and all those wildlife species there right. they were only there because that was a, a recently abandoned farm field or a young growing forest from uh maybe from a, a clear cut or the hands of man. There's a lot we can pick apart about. We could do another show just on that movie. But um, yeah, this, this myth I would call kind of this philosophy of benign neglect. And as you were talking about earlier about the legacy effects, um, the legacy effects have already left these forests in an unnatural condition. Um, so I think, uh, as you were saying, yeah, active management um, is kind of required to keep them in a certain 
uh, condition. Um, but active management, you know, is not a substitute for these natural processes. We we use our knowledge of succession of of trees um, when we work within them. Well, Zane, I hate to say it, but we're about out of time. I got one last question for you. Sure. One last myth. Shoot. If a tree falls in the forest, <laughs> does it make a sound? No. Oh, come on. It makes a sound. Well, oh, there's a caveat <laughs> there. If, if nobody's around to hear it. All right. I didn't say that. Oh, yeah. All right. Everyone, this has been uh, From the Forest on WIOX 91.3 FM. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we were talking tree myths, forest myths, misconceptions, half-truths, and uh, we'll talk next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games In an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town Where the river runs down from the forest With a mighty roar soars above the canyon streets And the con men con But life goes on For the city never sleeps And to an old forgotten soldier The dawn will come no more For the old man has come home From the forest IOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Watershed, 
Roxbury's Coffee Shop and Market on Main Street in historic Roxbury. Open from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sunday through Wednesday with extended market hours until 6 p.m. Thursday through Saturday. Coffee, breakfast, and lunch in the cafe and in the market prepared meals to go in basics like dairy, produce, dry goods, beer, and cider. Watershed, Main Street in Roxbury, watershedroxbury.com, and on Instagram at watershedroxbury. Sam's and Fleischman's, Sam's Country Store Deli and Gas Station, open every day.